Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Diana Opong. She is a colleague of mine in public radio, a talented storyteller, and a producer on the podcast Seattle Now. And she's originally from Ghana, West Africa, and was raised in the Pacific Northwest. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Katie. It's fun to be here. I wanted to have you on in part to talk about your family's interesting pandemic experience. But just to lay the groundwork here a little bit, tell me about why your family moved from Ghana to the Northwest. For sure. So I've been living in the States since I was about three. My dad came here a year before we did. The story that we were told most of our lives was that I have three older sisters. And so the story we were told most of our lives is that we came here for a better education. But there was a little bit of political turmoil at the time as well. So I think that also influenced the decision to move. Um, My dad was a part of the Navy in Ghana. So there were just, I think, a lot of factors. And I think as um, a lot of parents, you think about what does my kid actually need to know versus (laughs) the, the full truth of the story and like what can I get away with but yeah so that the story that we've heard most of our lives is um that we came here for a better education and there's no pushing him on that like you haven't tried to dig for details you know I have a little bit and I especially as I got older right once I understood like there's and as a storyteller as I'm sure you know too Katie like you know when there's maybe a juicy bit right somebody's dangling something <laughs> yeah. in front of you like there's got to be more to this um so i have asked him a few a few things but i know i'm not getting all of the details still which is fine he came one year earlier and then the rest of you came after that yes in the 80s a big piece and i don't know i think supposedly they still do this now and so i'd love to know i haven't looked into it obviously just cuz i just it's not as super relevant to me in my current life right now but you had to get a sponsor And so we had to get a sponsor who and then my dad had to like get our papers like it was a whole process, which again, I've not fully asked him or he's given me the light like, oh, I just did this and it was fine. I was like, okay. the guy who um, was our sponsor was really, really nice. He had a property somewhere by the water and one of the islands. I don't remember because I was still so little. And we would go clamming on the beach near his house. I remember that. And that was like the first time I remember like watching the, you know, they would wash the clams and steam the clams. It was like a whole production that I'd never seen before. Um, So yeah, so that's the thing I remember. And it was like, oh, this is your uncle or whatever. And I was like, okay, I don't think he's my uncle because he's a white dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like, it's sort of a common term, you know, overseas to call people aunt and uncle, even if they're not related to you. True. Yes. So yes, my dad came out uh, a year before we arrived in the States. And again, is that another mystery, how he found this particular sponsor? Or do you know where this sponsor comes from? No idea. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. So did your parents move here with the intention to stay then? Yeah, I I think so. I'd like to say, gosh, Katie, I think you're helping me realize there's a lot I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and ask some questions. Um, Yeah, I do believe that was the intent. Um, We had a small apartment, a family of six, three older sisters, And then we moved to the east side of um, Seattle, about 20, 25 minutes outside of Seattle, and ended up purchasing a home there. And that's the home I spent most of my childhood in. So yeah, I don't think they had any intention of ever flying us children back to live, but they both go back frequently. Yeah. You moved at three, right? Mm -hmm. In my childhood, I also moved around three or four. Mm. So I have this distinct line where... 
I can kind of tell where memories occurred. Like they occurred really early in my life because they would have, for me, happened in Michigan mm. before I moved to uh, Minnesota. Do you have that same thing where it's like the memories that you have in Ghana? Do you have certain memories that stand out from there? You know, it's so funny. I think because I've heard some people who have like memories from like the time they were two, three and four. I feel like a lot of my memories are around age five when school started for me and like maybe maybe around four when preschool was starting um, in part because I didn't speak English when I came to the United States. And so I think there was a lot of me figuring stuff out and reading people that I remember sort of just like doing a lot of watching as a kid versus interacting. And also I watched so many pictures and my mom actually told me so many stories about herself as a child. My dad told me stories about himself as a child and we have some family pictures. So I actually kind of don't know what I've made up in my head as a memory and what actually is a memory, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, then you have those older sisters who yes. probably remember a great deal more than you do. 100%. And also they're quite a bit older than me too, Katie. So they had like a whole life. They traveled and they lived in the States before I was even born. And then they moved back to Ghana. Like they had a whole adventure <laughs> before I arrived. <laughs> well, that's interesting, actually, with that big of a gap. Yeah. Do you feel like you've missed out on something? Gosh, I mean, yes, in a way. I, they obviously, because I'm so much younger than them, they got to see and experience my parents. And re they really remember Ghana in a way that I don't. They remember my dad being young. My sister told me the other day, like, oh, yeah, dad used to play tennis. I was like, I'm sorry, our father he played tennis. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't know that. That's not a thing I ever knew. And same with my mom. They used to have a farm and they had this really robust, beautiful life, it sounds like, until I came. So <laughs> <laughs> You were the one added burden. <laughs> yes. They gave up all of their dreams once I arrived. <laughs> all of their dreams and had to move you to the United States and sell their farm. And yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Have you been back to visit? Yeah. And what's your impression as an adult since you don't really remember much as a child? Well, it's so funny because, again, because of pictures and stories, it it feels familiar, right? Um, obviously, the sounds are familiar. The food is familiar. The smells are familiar. The heat, not familiar because um, <laughs> it's very different. But at the same time, like, I can handle heat. I feel like something better than, you know, maybe some of my friends or something. But um, one thing that we used to do, and this is aging myself because I'm a child of the 80s and... A long time ago, they used to have cassette tapes and cassette recorders. And in addition to mailing things, people would record themselves and then mail the cassettes with stories and different things. And so my grandmother, my aunt and a couple of my cousins, but mainly my grandmother on my mom's side would record themselves into a tape recorder and then mail it to my parents. And then my mom and dad would listen to it because I think also that was before like reasonably priced long distance phone plans. There was no Skype. There was no Zoom. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was a way for them to interact. And so I think I got familiarity, even though, you know, I was so far away. I got to know them in that way in some ways. Yeah. We did an episode that we actually just re-aired recently where we played some of the audio cassettes that these high school sweethearts had mailed home from Rome in the 60s. Wow. And Listen back with them now as a couple that's been married for over 50 years. Wow. <laughs> Which is a super fun episode. That's cool. I'll have to find those tapes. Yeah, the, it, there is something about the audio, the spoken word of a person that gives you almost more of an impression than the written word in some ways. In Absolutely. some cases, anyway. I agree. Particularly in these cross-cultural missing people from across the world 
sense of things. Yeah. So the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> the meat of the story. Which threw a wrench <laughs> into all of our lives. Yeah. Uh, but just to give us a baseline, what was your experience during the pandemic? Sure. I mean, not that it's not still going on, but when it first broke, where were you and what was going on in your life? Yeah, I currently live um, on the east side outside of Seattle. We call it the east side here in Washington. I've got three kids, elementary school age at the time. It was all of a sudden, you know, it was one of those things. It felt like a movie, right? It was like, oh, something's happening. Okay. Oh, no, something's really happening. Okay. Oh, this is serious. We need to do something. Oh, okay. Like really getting, you know, there were sort of these like waves, I think, of also of denial, like maybe it's not so bad. And then, you know, we were at the epicenter in Kirkland here nearby. And so I think it also just the urgency was different. Um, so I'm a homeschooling mom, was at the time. Um, our homeschooling adventure is ending. That's a whole nother episode. And um, I remember just like all their stuff being canceled, you know, dance classes being canceled, things moving virtual that had never been virtual for it. It's like, how are you going to do virtual gymnastics? Like, how is this going to work? <laughs> <laughs> it worked. We had to, you know, buy some things and adjust and move some stuff around our house. But yeah, it was it was really scary because you just don't want people to get sick. Yeah, uh, just totally unrelated. Why did you decide to be a homeschooling mom? So many reasons, Katie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so part of it is, um, uh, so I have three kids and the youngest, or excuse me, my oldest, my oldest child presented with a lot of food allergies as a baby that I wasn't aware of. And as a new mom, I just, you know, was doing the best I could. And as she got older, I realized she's not going to be able to tell people what she needs and some of her allergies are unusual and strange to others. And so there was a dismissing, I think, of how severe her allergies were. And I just didn't feel safe. Another piece of it was meeting other homeschoolers in college who were just super smart and really engaged and like really mature. And it's something my husband and I, who both attended public school, we, we went through the public school system here and realizing like, if we have a chance to do this, this could be really cool. And then around the time that my daughter was five, she got her first um, audition to be in a play. And that kind of set the tone for like, if she's going to pursue this, this gives us the flexibility we need to have the family life that we want. Hmm. I would ask you all about those allergies, but I'm going to try to get, get back on course. <laughs> okay, so, so you're in Kirkland, Kirkland, Washington, which for those of you who don't know, um, is where the first death occurred from the coronavirus in the United States, I believe. Yeah. So truly, truly the the beginning. Yes. And I have that uh, one of the last things that happened to me when I knew that things were changing was I was in the Florida airport and Derek called me and he said, hey, uh, someone just died of the coronavirus in Kirkland. Are you sure you want to come back? Oh, man. And I said, well, I definitely don't want to stay in Florida because yeah. you knew, of course, that was just the beginning. That was just the, the opening yep. of the pandemic in the uh, United States. So you're there. Right. Where are your parents when this happens? Yeah, this this is where it gets tricky, Katie. And I remember talking to you about it. And I think I just didn't know how to feel. So the onset of the pandemic was one thing to experience here in the United States. And to sort of be thinking about my, my little microcosm, right? My little world. Yes. And then realizing like, because by this, at the, again, in the beginning of the pandemic, it was like slow stuff like, oh, this is oh, it's only old people, like really old people. And it's like, OK, well, oh, that sucks. Right. That, that, but OK. And it's only in America. Right. There was a sort of this idea of like it's contained. It's not so bad. It's not going to be a pandemic. What's a pandemic? Never heard of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but my parents. So everything I feel like really became like obvious and aware in like February, March, right, of 2020. And my parents 
both had left for Ghana separately at different times. And I, I want to say October and September of the previous year of 2019 with plans because they're kind of like, a, I guess, like, what do they call them? Like spring birds or winter birds where you fly somewhere hot for the winter and come back. And um, so they they both have houses here and they have houses overseas. So that's normal. That's something they've been doing for the last few years where they'll just go there for three to six months and then come back to the States. You know, just it's a normal thing. And my mom, you know, visits all the different kids because we're sort of spread out throughout the States. And I don't think it hit me until my mom and my dad were both supposed to fly back. I think my dad was supposed to come back in March. My mom was supposed to come back in April and they couldn't. That, I think, is when the pandemic got real for me. The understanding of not only how far did it reach, but what it meant for people. You could not travel. The idea that you could not travel somewhere or get home if you wanted to made no sense to my brain in the moment. I was like, but why? I don't I don't get why this is happening. And then that's when I think we started learning like, oh, it's airborne. It's like all of the things were starting to come up. And it was like, okay. And then it's overseas. And it was really bad in Europe, right? It was really horrible in Italy. It was really bad in certain you know other places in, in China and different things. And so it was like, wow, so this is not only spreading and they don't want it to spread anymore. And so that means no one can go anywhere because they're so worried that it was going to spread. So I think that's when it became really real for me is when my dad's flight was canceled. And I think the first flight being canceled was like, okay. And then the second flight being canceled and then the third. And that's, I think, again, when I felt like I was like, okay, this is this is a whole new world. We're going to have to figure figure this out. A quick interruption to this conversation to tell you to mark your calendar. We are hosting our very first Zoom meetup on Wednesday, October 20th. It's happening at 9 p.m. Central European time, or if you're out west like me in Seattle, at noon Pacific Standard Time. Join Tiffany and me live. And if you have a great ghost story, bring it with you and share it. We might just use it on our Halloween episode coming up later this month. This meetup is open to anyone who's a regular supporter of this show. So sign up for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. You'll get two bonus episodes every month and you can say hi to us live on October 20th. And fear not for those of you who donate regularly through PayPal, you're invited to the party too. It's not too late to become a regular donor and come to this event. Find links to join us in the show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. And don't forget, save that date, Wednesday, October 20th, 9 p.m. Central European Time, a.k.a. Rome, where Tiffany is, and noon Pacific Standard Time, a.k.a. Seattle, where Katie is. We can't wait to see you. We can't wait to hear any ghost stories that you know. So please, save the date. Join us if you can. Now, back to the show. What were they telling you? Were your parents alarmed that they were stuck there? Or since they have homes there, were they just calm and biding their time? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think they were definitely calm. Both of my parents are pretty chill people. And I think also don't want to alarm us, even though we're all grown ups. <laughs> they don't want to alarm their kids. And yeah, there was a sense of like, oh, well, they're safe. They have shelter. 
they're not like a tourist stuck overseas who has no place to live or having to stay in a hotel, that type of thing. They have family there. They're safe. They're not in a place where they don't know anybody. So that part of it was fine. I think the schools closed there. And in Ghana, you children have to pay to go to school in many parts, especially in the near the areas that my parents are from. They have to pay for school uniforms, that type of thing. And so to know that school was intentionally shut down also says this is serious. A lot of the schools are outdoors. Some of them have indoor buildings, but like just they're really open. So I kind of thought maybe it would be okay. But again, just the crowding and all that stuff. We didn't know a lot of that stuff early on. But my dad takes medications and so does my mom. And when they travel overseas, they are able to get a supply large enough for their time there, right? Maybe a week or two or a couple days over, but never like, and just in case you're here for three more months, Mm -hmm. (laughs) here's the extra stash, right? And that's when things I think started to feel even more frantic, at least for me and my siblings, um, and also a little bit for for my parents. Yeah. So what were you doing? Oh, boy. To work through all of that or manage it, solve it? Yeah. When you say <laughs> you and your siblings are frantic, were you trying to take any kind of action? Yeah, I think so. Initially, it was like, how do we get them home? How do we help them get flights? I had some family members who um, are in the military. I have a another family member who works for the State Department. So we were making calls like, what can we do? And we learned that there was a way, and I'll have to double check this, but it sounds like early on in the pandemic, if there was like evacuations of people, U.S. citizens from outside um, who were abroad. But I think because my mom or my dad told me this, that because they both had homes, the urgency wasn't the same for them. And so one, there was also no way to know if they could get on the plane. This was my mom who said, I think I can get a plane ride. They say, maybe it's at two on this particular day at this particular place but I'm not sure. And then I wouldn't be able to bring all of my luggage. I might only be able to bring one versus like all of the stuff I brought. Cause again, they're there for six months. So they're bringing all the stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) and neither of them lived in the city where they would have to be picked up. It was anywhere from a four to eight hour drive. And so that's not convenient, like to take a chance and then have it not work out. So for us, I think that's when it started again to feel even more frantic. And it was like, okay, so they can't get home. We can't get them flights. You could go online and book stuff and it would just get canceled, right? There was like no warning. And so when we realized that's not going to work, what can we do to make sure they're comfortable? And at first, I think they were both downplaying it. My mom was able to get some of her medications there, which was great. But there was one in particular that my dad could not get while he was in Ghana. And so then it was like, okay, we need to do emergency orders to the doctor. Just, you know, have them get it figured out. And between the four of us, two of which were really helping me and my other my older sister, Josephine, we were kind of like, how can we help? Because <laughs> it was too many hands kind of doing one thing. But one of my other sisters was able to get in touch with the doctor, get the prescription filled at the local drugstore. And then once we got that figured out, because that's a whole process, it was like, how do you mail it? Because planes aren't flying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Packages and parcels aren't also going in the same way that they used to. So she tried sending it via UPS, which is a you know main carrier here in the United States. And they told her it would get sent. But it, every time they tried to send it, it didn't send. So we ended up having to do it via DHL, which is really popular around the world. I'm glad I know that now. If you're trying to ship something quickly overseas, <laughs> DHL is your, is your guy. Um, and that finally got sent. But, you know, it was hundreds of dollars. It was a big sort of to do and also because she'd already sent the first batch via UPS and couldn't get it back she had to go get even more prescription meds 
and get that sent over. And then it finally, they ended up sending it back. But it was, a, it was just a really sort of intense process with no real rules around like, hey, and if this doesn't work, then you do this. We had to sort of figure it out on the fly. Yeah. And once you figured out DHL, how fast did that actually arrive to him? Do you know? Yeah, it was like three days. Wow. It was amazing. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so I get, I get the impression that your parents are not together. Correct. They are not together anymore. So during this whole process, they're not working together to try to sort it out. They are their own islands, so to speak. Yeah. So they're, they're still in touch with each other. And, you know, obviously, too, they were like the only two people stranded together. So <laughs> in that place, they, they were under the same sort of circumstances. So they were in touch and um, and talking and trying to like, have you tried this? Did this work for you? So-and-so is going to get you this. So even though they're not together, they're still friends and they're still, right? You're still family. So yeah. I'm curious for you, once you get the medication to your dad, yeah, how were you feeling then? I think one, as a child, <laughs> as an adult child, I'm I'm worried. I was already worried for myself. I was worried for, you know, my other loved ones and my f- friends. But I was really worried about, okay, if something catastrophic happens, how will I get to them? Right? We know so many people who passed away here that had to die alone, that couldn't go see family. There was all the stuff going through my head, like, I won't be able to fly there. I won't be able to do anything. And I don't know for how long. And that, I think... Not only was I surprised at the level of emotion I started to feel, but it was it was very stress inducing. I thought about them all the time. I you know, was texting them via WhatsApp and other an email just trying to figure out like how I think in a way I was trying to make myself feel better by checking in on them to make sure they were OK and that they had what they needed, checking on their properties here, that type of thing. But, you know, it was a very distressing time for all four of us, the, the four kids. And I think we just did the best we could by talking to each other and sharing what we were worried about and thinking about. Yeah. What was the difference between how the U.S. reacted versus how Ghana reacted? That's a great question. I think a big difference over there, Katie, especially further out from the city, uh, the capital Accra and going deeper into the northern regions, is there's more open door stuff. Their markets are open. Indoor closed business working stuff is not the same as it is here. There's not as much of that self-contained worry. Um, there are transportation type things where my mom, I texted her today because my, my mom is back in Ghana right now. My dad is here in the States. And she was saying, you know, if you get in a vehicle with two people, you don't have to wear a mask. It sounds like with the windows open. But if more than two people are in the vehicle, then you have to wear a mask. And so it sounds like they figured it out. And I wish I knew a little bit more, but I know it's because in the villages, it it works a little differently than in the main city. But yeah, they seem like they, my parents didn't seem nearly as concerned or freaked out as I did. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming that means that they felt like they got good information where they were. And my dad's a question asker. So I feel like he clearly was satisfied with whatever information he got and was okay. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I felt like my parents, who were by no means as far away as yours, mine were here in the Seattle area. But of course, we weren't seeing each other because of the pandemic. Yeah. But I did feel like maybe it's the wisdom of years as well, that they also had more of a calm about it than people my own age did. Yeah. Which is interesting, given that they are in the group that's the most at risk. Right. And maybe like you said, too, with that wisdom also comes a reality and acceptance of at some point I'm going to go. Right. I I think at at the age I'm at, I'm 38. I still think I'm young. I've got many years left. My parents are in their late 60s, early 70s or late 70s. And um, I think they're both like, 
it is what it is, right? Like I'm going to do the best I can, but if I go, I've lived a life. I've seen my kids. Like I'm not saying they want to die, right? I don't think anybody's like, yes, and I'll, I'll go tomorrow kind of thing. But I think there is a level of, I love what you said, a level of wisdom, maturity, and acceptance that they had about this whole thing that I definitely was not privy to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to me too, uh, because we've, we've talked a bit on this show about people that sort of straddle cultures. And your parents, the fact that they spend at least at this point in their life, probably not when they were raising you, but they spend half their time there and half their time here. Yeah. How do they feel to you? Do they feel like this interesting blend of the two cultures or how does that manifest in their lives? That's a great question. Um, I feel like growing up, I was not an American kid. I was a Ghanaian kid who was being raised in America. And so my parents, the food we ate, the things we interacted with, the stuff we watched on TV, you know, soccer, football, those types of things. We tried all of the stuff, but like I didn't go to Disneyland or Hawaii. Like I didn't do any of that stuff that quote unquote American parents are supposed to do with their kid. And so for me, they feel true blooded Ghanaian, right? Like, and also they came here so much later in life. They are Ghanaian through and through. So I don't know. I, I mean, we're citizens of the United States. I remember getting my citizenship as a child. But yeah, we're we're bicultural, I guess, in that sense. What has that meant for you, if that's the case? I would say I am fortunate enough to have been blessed with two perspectives. I had my parents to really ground me and those awesome audio tapes for me to hear my history. Um, the trips back home, I went back when I was 13 and then again when I was 18 and then um, again, after I got married to my husband, and I'm really grateful to be connected to a family system and a culture that's very different than here, that holds different values. But at the same time, I'm able to figure out how to marry those same things in the life that I have. So yeah, I, I think I, my identity for a long time was confusing as a kid, because everybody wants to put you in a box and everybody thinks you should identify a particular way. And the way people see me and versus how I identify is different. People most mostly see me as a black woman. I don't identify as black. I identify as West African or Ghanaian. That is truly my roots. That's my heritage. That's the life I grew up with. Hmm. I have two questions I want to ask. Okay. I guess since we talk so much about moving abroad, living other places, would you ever move back? You know, I, it's something I've thought about quite a bit, actually, and same with my husband. He loves it there. Um, he had so much fun when we went there after our wedding. And we have talked about whether or not we would. And honestly, the thing that's holding me back is my daughter's allergies. There are quite a few items she can't like have shellfish and a big part of Ghanaian food, especially living on the coast is seafood. And so I don't think that would be a safe thing for them, for all three of my kids. But I do hope that we can go visit and, you know, have that be something that they can experience and explore and see their grandparents and um, extended cousins and that type of thing. But I think that ship has sailed. And same with my sisters. I've asked them before, like, do you think you would ever move back? And my sister's like, nah, I think we're good here. And since you also mentioned those values, those Ghanaian values, I've never been there. The only place in Africa I've ever been was South Africa, which probably couldn't be more different. So yeah, what are those? Can you give us an example? Okay. Um, uh, so the biggest thing is respecting of elders. It doesn't matter if it's a stranger. It doesn't matter if, in, in some ways, it doesn't matter if it's a crazy person. Like you, 
you are respectful to some any person that's older than you. And even with with younger kids, a toddler has to be respectful of the, the of the elementary school kid as the elementary school kid has to be respectful of the teenager. So that's a big one. So I, I have a lot of respect for my elders. Um, corporal punishment is a thing there. That's not a value I've kept because <laughs> I don't see any value in it. Within the home, of course, is what you mean, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yes, within the home and uh, and at school. I know that can still happen in some places here, but that's not that's not a thing for me. And um, the tradition of um, welcoming people with food, right? You never make just enough for yourself. You always make enough so that people can join you. That's always something. My mom was always making big batches of food, way more than all six of us could eat as a family. But we always had people over entertaining, having folks over. That's that's a constant. And religion, church, church night or day, three hours, <laughs> whenever um, I was listening to Trevor Noah's book born a crime and he he talked about how his mom would go to three different churches and I remember just howling laughing as I was listening to the audio <laughs> because I was like I get that so much like it was a priority my mom didn't go to three churches um, at least not with me but the idea of having church be sort of a center of your life on Sundays was a big thing so yeah let's round out the story how does it come to be that your parents do eventually come back yeah. So coronavirus is happening, right? Things are spreading. Flights are being canceled left and right, left and right, left and right. And then at some point, I think when they realized masks could help, the vaccine was still being developed. At some point, airlines were like, we can do this. We're just going to space people out. We're going to you know, uh, usher in quarantine um, periods, that type of thing. And so my dad was able to come home first. And then my mom, who was visiting my sister in Minnesota at the time prior to leaving, was planning on going back to Minnesota. And she's like, it's really cold in Minnesota, <laughs> as you probably know. So she's like, I'm just going to stay and I can get my vaccine here. And we were like, are you sure? <laughs> so she ended up staying actually an additional. I don't think she came home for like the full sort of duration of COVID and prior almost 18 months wow. before she finally came back. But she was happy and fine. But, but and yet you just mentioned that she has now gone back. Yes. And, you know, here's the thing that's really interesting or not interesting, but sad is that my aunt was really sick towards the tail end of my mom being there, not COVID related from what we know, potential complications to diabetes and just old age. And so my mom got all of this amazing unplanned time with her sister. Oh, wow. And she died right when my mom got back to the States. Wow. So I am grateful. Like if there's any silver lining in all of this of them being away is that my mom got to have all of that time with her sister. Oh, that's great. Well, Diana Opong, my colleague, a great public radio storyteller. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Katie. It was a pleasure. Please share the show. Tell your friends and family about this great discovery that you've made. And if you own a business, consider sponsoring the show. Sponsoring is a great way to reach an educated and diverse group of wonderful people living all over the United States and the world. Send us a note at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye.